Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm your host, Eric Flickinger, and this is lesson number four, week number four, in an incredible Sabbath School quarter here. We are looking at the book of Hebrews in these last days, a message that God has for us. And with us this week, as in every week, is the author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, and that is Dr. Felix Cortez. He is the Associate Professor of New Testament Literature at Andrews University. Pastor Felix, welcome back. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Now, we're going to keep churning our way through the book of Hebrews. It's a phenomenal book. We've already covered uh, three weeks' worth of material. Here we are on week number four, lesson number four, and we're looking at Jesus, our faithful brother. Now, you make uh, an interesting observation here, really just in the first couple of chapters of the book of Hebrews, and that's how we see Jesus from two different perspectives. Uh, that is, he's, he's the Son of God, and he's also the Son of Man, his, his divine elements or aspects and his human elements or aspects, and that's kind of what this week is all about. Why is this concept so important for us to understand? The description of Jesus in the letter to the Hebrews is, 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 is exciting because it covers a very broad spectrum. It goes from Jesus being the Son of God, therefore seated at the right hand of God. He is God. He lives forever. Uh, he creates all things. He receives worship. And then that is in Hebrews 1. But in Hebrews 2, you have this reference to Jesus as our brother. He's the Son of Man. And, and he's not ashamed to call us brothers. It's very interesting, this idea. He was not ashamed to call us brothers. And uh, the, it, for me, Eric, uh, let me tell you that the description of the uh, book of Hebrews of Jesus as our brother is the most attractive of the descriptions of Jesus. I have said that when, when, when I get to heaven and people ask me, where are you coming from? Uh, I am going to tell them, you know, uh, I may not uh, tell them right directly, I come from the earth, right? That little planet that caused all this, this trouble and all this mess and caused uh, the Son of Man to die, I'm not going to tell uh, uh, about that. What I'm going to say is, I am coming from the same planet that that person who sits in the throne in the center of the universe comes from as well. He is my brother. And, you know, that is a privilege that not many people will have. Only the redeemed. I think that's a, a, a significant perspective shift. You know, because as you mentioned, we are, we're in a planet that's, well, to use very straight language, much more messed up than any other planet in the universe. And, uh, and will forever have that, uh, that mark against it. But it also is the planet where Jesus took care of things, where Jesus made things right again. And really, you delve into that in Sunday's lesson, the brother as a redeemer. So if Jesus is our brother, we have, well, we have a big problem. The big problem is called sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we can't fix ourselves. We can't redeem ourselves. But this concept of a brother being a redeemer is a significant one for us to, to, grasp, to grasp, to understand. Why is that so significant? Well, this idea of the brother as a redeemer is very uh, comprehensive. 
Of course, it refers to Jesus as the one who died for our sins and redeemed us from our sins. That is explained in Hebrews 9, 15 to 22 very clearly. He died in our place. He carried our sins. Uh, But when you go to the Old Testament, you're going to find that the brother have other redeeming uh, functions and privileges. When you go to the Old Testament, you're going to find that when a person fell into difficult financial situations, uh, often the last resort, uh, the last resource was to sell oneself or sell, you sell your property and then you sell, one, you sell oneself as, yourself as a, as a slave. The only one or the first one, the first one who could redeem you was your brother. Because when a person sold himself or his family to pay a debt, the brother could come to the owner of my debt and he could say, you know, I'm going to redeem him. And the owner was forced to sell him back. He can be the redeemer of the brother at any time. So that's what Jesus did. Jesus paid our debt, the debt of sin. But not only that, when a person died without being able to have children and therefore a family to inherit his property and his name to survive, the brother would marry the, uh, the, the widow in order to raise a descendant. And, and, and that descendant was going to be in the name of the deceased brother. He redeemed the, the, the genealogy. And the property it was going to be kept on the name of the person who, was, uh, who, who died. So Jesus not only has redeemed from our sins, he has redeemed also... Um, the, the ability for us to continue to live, but also Jesus is our redeemer because he is the one who uh, avenges our blood. The brother was the avenger of blood. When a person died, uh, the brother uh, was the one who, who did justice in ancient times. You know, Jesus performed all of those Functions. If you go to Leviticus 25, you're going to find many of those functions. Numbers 35 is going to be other of those functions. Yeah. In in Monday's lesson, this idea of him being our redeemer is is very very powerful. But in Monday's lesson, you draw something out here from Hebrews chapter 11, and you already made mention to this a, a few moments ago that he was not ashamed to call us brothers. In Hebrews 11:24 to 26, uh, here's what it says. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now, Jesus, I mean, he, he is the son of God. That's, that's so far beyond what we can really even begin to comprehend. I mean, maybe we have an inkling of an idea. But for him to call us brothers, that's substantial. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an exponential downgrade to where we are. The, the height, the depth of which I don't think we can even begin to grasp. And yet he does that. How can he do that? You know, that is the mystery of redemption. That is the mystery of uh, the Bible. Paul calls it a mystery. 
And, you know, we're going to have a better understanding of that when we get, when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven and we see the atmosphere of heaven, the love that there is in heaven, the beauty of heaven, the close relationship that, that there, there is between the Father and the Son. When we see all of that and we have an idea of what it means to live in heaven, we're going to think Jesus left all of this to be with us. It's amazing. You know, uh, my, my, my daughter has two very good friends that are twin sisters. They are very good friends of my daughter, and, and she loves them. And, uh, and, but I was um, in, in a, a, a trip when we, we took them to the airport, and they were going to separate. Uh, for the first time, I think, in, in a long time. You know, twins, they were together in the womb of their mother, you know. They, they, they probably were in the same room for a lot of time. They went to the same things. Twins together, right? All the time. Uh, identical twins. And then comes a moment of separation. That was a really interesting experience for me to see the difficulty of them to separate from each other. Can you imagine God and the Son separating? They have been together for eternity. They loved each other in such a close way and they separated in order to save you and me. That is in order for Jesus to become my brother, your brother, that is an amazing sacrifice. And part of this mystery, I guess, as you mentioned it, is how he could be like us. I mean, he's, he's, we often say that he's fully God and fully man. Uh, how that works out is, is difficult for us to wrap our minds around completely. But he is flesh and blood like us. So how... How can he, being divine, be like us? What does he share in common with us? Uh, what are some things that maybe he doesn't share in common with us? How is he like us? Eric, that is a beautiful question and a very deep question. And Adventists have, um, have struggled about this, this question. I'm going to tell what Hebrews tells. Hebrews says that Jesus was made like his brother's in all respects. The Greek expression for that is katapanta, okay? In all respects, in everything. Now, when Hebrew is talking about Jesus becoming like us in every respect, he's referring in everything that has to do with being a human being. In Hebrews, that does not include sinfulness. Because sinfulness or a sinful nature is not essential to being a human being. Adam was a human being, but he, was not a, he didn't have a sinful nature before the, the fall. Okay? So Jesus is exactly like us. When, when we talk about in every respect, always this, this idea is in every respect of what we're talking about, which is human nature. If you go to Colossians 3, 20 and 22, you'll find that children obey your parents in every respect. It's every respect in the context of what we're talking about, which is in the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters, even those who are not uh, of the faith, in every respect. He's referring to in every respect of, in the context of being faithful to God. The same Jesus is like us in every respect. He has a body like us. 
he, when he was in, in earth, he had our height, right? He had um, the same difficulties that we have. Sometimes he, he, he became tired when he didn't sleep well, I guess. Uh, he got hungry, uh, hungry, right? He needed to, to eat. He had all these aspects of human nature, yet he was the Lord of the universe. That is amazing. I, I love when Jesus comes to the disciples walking on, on, on the sea. And, and then he says to the sea, hey, be quiet, be still. And everything comes quiet. What do the, what do the apostles do? They just fell on their, on their face and said, this is, this is not a man, this is God. And, and, and so you have this amazing combination of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is like us, but if you go to Hebrews 7.26, he is separated from sinners. He's perfect. He's without any, uh, any, um, any, anything that is related to sin because he's a perfect sacrifice for us. And that's good news for us because if we're completely honest with ourselves, we are far from perfect. But we do have a brother who is perfect. We're going to continue looking at Jesus here in the book of Hebrews in just a moment, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter's uh, adult Bible study lesson, and that is also on the book of Hebrews. You can pick it up at the It Is Written shop. That's itiswritten.shop. It will add immensely to the content of this quarter's lesson. I want to encourage you to pick that up. We're going to continue looking at Jesus here in the book of Hebrews in just a moment. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800 800- 253-3000, or you could visit us online at itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking at Jesus, our faithful brother, in the book of Hebrews. And as we get into Wednesday's lesson, there's an interesting passage here that is referenced in Hebrews 2, verse number 10. Here's what it says. It says, for it was fitting for him, that is Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, Pastor Felix, this is, a, this is an interesting concept here, because when we think of Jesus, we think of someone who is, well, perfect. And here it says that he's being made perfect through sufferings. How can Jesus, who is perfect, be made perfect? That is an excellent question. And um, honestly, we human beings, um, sufferings are some of the ways in which we learn new things sometimes, in which we grow, right? Sometimes we learn to be more patient, more um, merciful, when we have gone through experiences that uh, help us understand how other people feel or help us understand that uh, you need to be patient because if you endure a little bit, then things will come better. 
But that is not what is happening with Jesus. Jesus became perfect in the sense that sufferings made possible for him to be our Savior. You see, as God, as the creator of the universe, Jesus can be our judge, but not our Savior. In order to be our Savior, Jesus needed to become a human being, be our representative, and die for us in order to uh, provide the forgiveness that we need. Therefore, it is sufferings, meaning the cross and his obedience on earth, that perfected him for salvation, to be our Savior. Now, this is important because in this sense, we understand that Jesus is, uh, went through a process of vocational perfection or perfection for the work of salvation. That is basically what is happening here. And the same happens with obedience. If you go to Hebrews 5.9, it will say that Jesus learned obedience. Does that mean that Jesus went from being disobedient and now to be obedient? No, no, that is not what is happening here. What is happening is that Jesus went from being the master, the Lord, the, 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 the king of the universe who does not obey, is obeyed. He went from dominion to obedience, you see. That is a transition. He learned obedience because he didn't experience obedience before. Uh, he learned that because he assumed our nature. Now, when Jesus became our, our, our Savior, he didn't obey the Father in order to, be, to offer himself as a sacrifice for us. No, what happened is that Jesus offered himself in eternity some point in eternity, he was exactly equal to the Father. He says, you know, I'm going to be their Savior. He offered himself. So that is not obedience. It's just the decision to be our Savior. So we're not looking at someone who was imperfect, who became perfect, or someone who was disobedient, who became obedient. It's simply something that he hadn't experienced before and had to learn how to experience. And you know, we have to learn how to experience those same things as well. We're, we're learning it perhaps from a different direction, but we're still having to learn those, those same things and, and to become more like him. And really, Thursday's lesson delves into that beautifully. In Hebrews chapter 12, let me flip over there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, give us a beautiful picture of Jesus here. It says in verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. These verses give us a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us and what his motivation was in doing these things for us. It says that he did. He endured the cross and despised the shame. And, and why did he do that? It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. 
this is a beautiful picture of, of why Jesus has done what he's done for us, why he is doing what he's doing for us, and why it's important for us today. You know, this expression, the author and finisher of our faith, is, is a very interesting expression in Hebrews. Well, you are, we are going to say that everything is interesting for me, but yes, um, this is one of those things that are very interesting because it uses two Greek words that have many uh, possibilities in meaning. The word for author is the word archegos, which is not simply, it doesn't mean simply author. It can mean champion, captain. In fact, that word archegos is used in Hebrews 2.10 to refer to Jesus as the captain of our salvation. Here, he is the captain of our faith. The interesting thing about this word is that Jesus is described here as the there is a race. You see, you have all these heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. But the focus of all the attention in the chapter is Jesus, the author, the captain. He is the main runner. He is the one who goes at the head of the race. He's opening the, 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 the road for us. And uh, Jesus is the captain of our faith in that respect. And the other word, teleiotes, it is also very interesting. Because teleiotes is used very few times, not only in the Bible, in the Bible it's used once. In Greek literature, it's almost not used uh, in almost uh, in all Greek literature. And what the author is, 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 is saying there, probably that Jesus is the perfecter, means the one who provides the perfect example of how a race is run. So, Jesus is like the model runner, like the paradigmatic uh, athlete, faith, the athlete of faith. Now, I have the blessing of having a, an older brother. And the older brother sometimes uh, has been beautiful because he has defended me from people who are stronger than I am, right? That's what Jesus did in fighting against Satan, right, and delivering us from this slavery to sin. Jesus is the older brother who has, he's stronger, I can do that. But here, Jesus is the older brother who gives a good example. He tells me, no, when you face this problem, I have gone through that, and I have done this. I suggest that you do this. When I was, uh, I was studying my, my, my doctorate, I was having a lot of problems with my, my older son. And my brother came and told me, you know, you know what is the problem you're having? The problem is that you're not spending enough time with him. You need to spend time with him. You need to play with him. And from that time, I began to play soccer with him. Until, until this moment, we, we, we play soccer together when we have opportunity. You know, and that changed everything. Why, why that, was that possible? Because my older brother had gone through that experience. I had learned and he told me, this is what you need to do. He was my model, you see. And, and, and this is what Jesus does for us. Jesus lived a perfect life. And he, he tells us, this is the road. Be careful here. Go this way. You know, follow my lead. Follow my steps. If you follow my steps, you are going to reach the goal line. That's encouraging to, to hear because we, get, we hear so many Christians today who say, uh, you know, Jesus lived 
that life, we're not expected to. We, we're just forgiven. In fact, I've seen bumper stickers that say Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, which kind of, I think, lessens what, what God wants to do in our lives. Ultimately, the gospel is supposed to go to all the world. Now, the gospel, we can share the gospel with people. That's not hard. We can tell them about Jesus. But one of the greatest struggles that Christianity has in, in going around the world, I think, is unfortunately Christians. A lot of people will look at Christians and they'll say, oh, yeah, Jesus was a, was a, a fantastic example of a Christian, but look at all of his followers. And, you know, it, it's true. If we're going to try to, to live a, a life of victory ourselves, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. Because the devil, as you mentioned, is stronger than we are. But if we can unite with Christ, then his strength can help us through. And as we live lives that are worthy, if I can use that word very carefully, of being called Christian, then perhaps people can look at Christians and say, you know what, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something with these people who, who believe in Jesus, uh, who preach Jesus, because it's affecting their lives. Jesus here is, is our brother, our faithful brother, as you mentioned in this week's lesson. As we kind of tie all of this together, what one thought would you like for, for everyone who hears this week's lesson to walk away with and know this is something that I can be encouraged by, this is something that, can, that I can apply practically to my life, this is something that can make a difference? What, what would you want each and every person who hears this to say, okay, this makes sense to me, and, and I can grab a hold of this? So... The first thing I would say, I think there are three things that cannot be separated from each other. The first thing that I would like to emphasize is that just by becoming a human being, Jesus has raised humanity. He has provided honor and glory to humanity. We can say, he's my brother, he's part of my race, he's part of my planet. I am proud of being a human being because I have a brother like him. He raised us. But the other thing is that Jesus being my older brother, he's my defender. He's powerful. He's strong. He's my champion. He takes my place. And when Satan, a bully, comes, he says, hey, wait a minute. If you mess with him, I, I am his brother. You are going to mess with me. And Jesus defends me. And that is true. Jesus does that literally. Sometimes we don't see it, but that is, that is true. But then the third thing, which is very important, is that when Jesus, when we, when we are converted, we say to Jesus, I, I am saved by grace through faith. That is true. But help me. I want to be like you. How can I be like you? And, and it is born in us, this desire to be like him. And, and so we begin a process, Eric, in which every day we observe him, we learn from him, we, 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 we think about him, and we become like him more and more and more. He's our example in that way. Beautiful. A picture this week of Jesus as our faithful brother. Pastor Felix, thank you, thank you once again for joining us. And I want to say thank you for watching this week and each week, Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We look forward to seeing you again next week.